Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 13. We're going to be uh, starting there and then bouncing around a little bit and looking at this command to love one another. So turn with me to John 13. We'll be in verses 34 and 35. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we love you, and once again, we just thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here doing what Christians have always done, which is coming together to worship you, professing and expressing uh, what you've done for us and the joy that it brings us, but also hearing from you through your word, submitting ourselves to your word, placing ourselves under you, knowing that the primary way that you communicate to us is through the Bible. And so, Lord, we need to be transformed into your image, conformed to your image by lining our lives up to your word. Lord, as we wrestle with this command to love one another, may we understand it better. May we believe it with greater conviction. May we live it out as we go from here. And I pray, Father, even for this series as we talk about Christ-centered friendship and how that's related to living lives according to the one another's. I pray, Father, that you would just do a good work in, in us individually, but also corporately, that we would be a, a church that is more faithful to your word as we love one another, even the people in this body. So, Lord, we invite your spirit to that end to do the work that only he can do. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I teach a biblical worldview class to a group of seniors at a Christian high school, and it's, it's kind of a college prep class is how we treat it. And so we uh, kind of call them to a higher standard in their writing and in their thinking. We want them to operate at that level to kind of prepare them for college. I'm a pastor first, so I put on my pastor hat in there, and, and I really care more about uh, less about them being great writers and thinkers, but, but I want them to be prepared spiritually for college. And so as years have gone by in that class, uh, I've just kind of returned back to just different words of wisdom that uh, I think have been helpful for them over the years, and I call them Dr. Caswell's words of wisdom. Anytime you add doctor to it, it's just there's some, there's some weight to it, okay? Uh, so we, I throw out little nuggets on things, and one of my little nuggets of advice is that for the rest of your life, you're going to find yourself in a room with a bunch of people who you don't know, and you're going to need to make a friend in that room. Now, for some of you, that thrills you. You're a people person, you're extroverted, you know you, have, you know, you just have joy and stuff coming out your ears, and you love the challenge of meeting people and being in that room where you know no one. But for the rest of us, for most of us, that's a pretty terrifying moment, isn't it? Like to be thrown in that moment. It, for me, it always draws me back to like walking into that middle school cafeteria. Do you remember that moment? You walk in there, first day of school maybe, you know no one and, and you're, you're totally, like, scared of all of it. And you don't know anybody. You don't know where to sit. And, and that's what that moment uh, of, of just being thrown into a room, it always takes me back to those moments. And I distinctively remember early in my seventh grade year, which for us was the start of middle school, I walked into that cafeteria, and I was kind of a little kid. And I walked in there, didn't know where to sit, looking for someone I knew, no one I knew, and I just sat down at this table. And uh, a really cool ninth grade girl came up to me, and she helped me. Now, she did not end up becoming a good friend of mine, okay? So that's not where this story is going. But what she told me was, this is the ninth grade table, which was a clue to get out of here is what she was saying. 
And in that moment, I realized, okay, I'm not where I need to be. I froze, and I had this sense of, I need a friend in this moment. And, but that's kind of the difficulty of making friends, right? That's how I am when you drop me into that room where I don't know anybody. It's a bit of a terrifying thing for me. But at the same time, even though making friendships can be difficult, we're really created for that, right? Like think of God himself. God's a very relational God. The fact that the Trinity, they relate to each other. God himself is this big relationship. And he's created us uh, for his glory, but to relate to him in that way. And also, as you think about the close friendships in your life, don't they bring you joy? Don't they bring you great life? So there's a sense that we're created for life. We're created for friendship. But how do we foster friendships? That's kind of the question of this series. Of, as we look at the one another's, is I want to cast a vision for Christ-centered relationships and Christ-centered friendships. And I think a great pathway to those types of relationships is the one another's. And what we're going to do here is, is, is we're just going to unpack these over the next four weeks. And what I want to do is maybe set some expectations of what they are and maybe what they're not, but also how do we make those type of friendships. But living according to the one another's, I think that's the best pathway to develop just soul-filling, life-giving friendships. However, again, there is a difficulty to developing those types of friendships. One difficulty is, as many times we try to make friends out of our own strength and according to maybe our own kind of self-serving boundaries, right? And when we're there, that self-love, it keeps us from sacrificially loving and it doesn't lead to those friendships. So in that instance, we need Jesus' help in those moments. But another difficulty is, is that and I pastors are notorious for this, is that we can kind of settle for a, a theoretical love rather than a tangible love. We can get all high and mighty and all these ideals, but in reality, we, we don't end up just loving people in tangible ways. And sometimes if we have overly idealistic views of friendship, we can actually become embittered when those idealisms are not met. Therefore, we need Jesus's example. So what we're going to be doing over this next month is looking at the 59 one another's. And we're going to kind of break them into four different categories. But in the New Testament, there's 59 one another's. That phrase is used. And, and there's a series of different things uh, that, that we are called to. The first one being love one another. Next week, we're going to look at serve one another, then encourage one another, and then accept. Uh, and then there's kind of a catch-all group at the end is to accept one another. But today, we'll first study Jesus' charge to love one another from John 13. And then we're going to skip over to 1 John, and we're going to look at a couple of different passages, and one of them is labeled wrong in your, uh, in your uh, guide, so know that it's 2-9, not 1-9. But we're going to look at how to really believe or to obey this command uh, to love one another, including looking at, okay, what if we reject it? What if we choose not to love one another? And then I want to close with just some practical wisdom. But friends, developing friendship, it begins with understanding and then believing this command or this charge to love one another. And that's where we want to start, to love one another. John 13, verses 34 and 35. I give you a new command to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But this, everyone, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if you're in John 13, you might look up at a couple of paragraphs ahead of it. But this is within the context of the Last Supper. And in that moment, this is this kind of final moment where Jesus has gathered all his disciples. And this is this kind of final vision on what it means to be a disciple. He, he's casting this vision on, okay, this is what it looks like to faithfully follow me. 
And if you want to sum up these two verses, really it's a, it's, it's a statement that says disciples are called to love as Jesus has loved. Now I think of love in kind of a, a circular way. It starts uh, on the inside, right? If, if you love someone, it, it starts at the heart level, right? Th- these emotions and affections that you have for someone. But we know that real love doesn't stop there, right? Real love goes from the heart to the hands. It, it flows out to our behaviors, how we treat people who really some- love someone. It, it gets tangible and practical. We do things for them. But then when we do those things, those good things for them and for their good, the thing kind of returns back to our heart in the fact that it brings us joy, it brings us delight when we see those things working out for them. So husbands, this is probably you. Like you, you love seeing your wife smile. And so you do things to encourage her to smile and, and to make her happy. You work for her good. And then when she does smile, it kind of spins back around to you and it brings you joy and, it, and, it, and it's good for your heart in those moments. Dad's thinking about with your kids. You do all these things for your children's good, right? But then when you see them just take off or accomplish something or, or do something you're really proud of, that you played maybe a small part, but then but they did it, it, it then in turn comes back to your heart to where it just encourages you in those moments. So love then, I think there's a circular aspect to it, to where it's desiring someone's good, but it doesn't just stay there. It goes to your hands, and then it comes back to your heart. But in this passage, Jesus says, I tell you a new command. Now, what does it mean by new well, new, of course, can't mean that this is like the first time God has ever called us to love one another. I mean, that's all throughout the scriptures, right? Really what I think new means here is that Jesus is now this kind of unparalleled, higher standard of what love is. We have this new standard, which is Christ. He's our example for how to love. Okay, well, how's he an example? Well, looking at, at John 13 in those two sections, there's kind of two significant things that happen there at the Last Supper. The first one being that Jesus washes the disciples' feet, right? From verses 1 to 20, it's that famous scene of Jesus washing their feet. That's a great example of tangible love. Like Jesus didn't just get real theoretical with his love. He got very tangible with his love. And that scene is one of the best examples, I think, in all the scriptures of what it means to love someone. You just dive in and do these things for them. You serve them in these practical ways. That's how Jesus loved us. Jesus tangibly loves us. There's physical evidence of it. So if we're going to love like Jesus, we need to tangibly love. But also in that next section, 21 to 30, there's this famous scene where where Judas begins his betrayal, right? And, And Jesus tells him to go do what you're supposed to do. All that is within the context of Jesus' love for Judas. It's a great reminder of he's loving someone who is not loving him back. He's loving someone who's hard to love. You, you could say that he's loving him sacrificially. And I think both of those examples are wonderful examples of how Jesus loves us. He loves us tangibly and he loves us sacrificially. He loves us radically. So Jesus commands us to love one another, but he also then provides these glorious examples for how to do it. And if you're one of his disciples and he's calling you to also tangibly love others and to also sacrificially love others. And really, that's kind of what it means to be a disciple in so many ways. This kind of sums up in so many ways what it means to be a disciple. But what if we reject it? Like, what if we say, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, but you know what? I'm, there's really no evidence of me loving people in my life. Well, skip down to 1 John 2, 9. And we're also going to look at 1 John 3, 11 to 15. So jump over to the book of 1 John. 
And what I want us to see is that if we reject it, that then becomes evidence of darkness, and it also leads to an experience of darkness. First uh, John 2 9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now, what he's getting at here is this person that maybe says, Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but but there's really no evidence of me loving one another. In fact, there's evidence of me hating my brother. What he's saying here is that that person is still in the darkness. To get a little more frank and straightforward, what he's saying here is even though that person says he's a Christian, that person's not a Christian. That person's not really born again. Someone who's truly been redeemed, they have this, this track record of loving one another. Now, we have to be careful with 1 John and a verse like that because what he's not saying is, okay, love people and then that's your ticket into heaven. What he's saying is really the other way around. He's saying, listen, when you love people, it's evidence that you have been born again. Or if you're not loving people, it's also evidence like this check engine light that you're not really a Christian. So if you have all this experience in your life and there's very little loving one another, it's not me. It's it's the Bible questioning if you're really born again. It's saying, listen, that's evidence of, of darkness. But let's look at another example. Skip down to 1 John 3, 11 to 15, and we'll see the example of Cain. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that... We have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, this story from Genesis 4 of Cain and Abel, it, it's this powerful example of, of death and darkness when someone doesn't love someone else. Here are these two guys. They should have been the closest of friends. They were brothers. They should have had each other's back. They should have always been working for each other's good. They, they should have had this close relationship where they cared for each other. But, but Cain didn't love him. Cain didn't love him as he should, and he became embittered and angry at him, and it led to just dark places. It, it led, in this case, to murder. It didn't lead to life and light. It led to darkness, and it led to death. That's where, in, in an extreme example, we're not loving or a lack of love. That's where it leads. It doesn't lead to life-giving friendships. It leads to death and darkness. So going back to that middle school cafeteria, if you walk into that cafeteria not knowing a, a soul and your perspective is, okay, I'm, I'm going to find somebody to love in this cafeteria. I'm going to find somebody to tangibly, sacrificially love. Friend, that's going to lead you to life-giving friendships. That, that's where that's going to take you to. But if you walk into that cafeteria and you're all self-absorbed, you're self-loving, you're, you're hyper-focused on yourself, that's only going to lead to death and darkness. It's only going to lead to the darkness of loneliness. Okay, but how? How do we do that? How do we, if we truly believe that, then how do we obey that? Well, let me give you uh, some practical examples. First one, how to believe. Uh, follow Jesus' example. So look at 1 John 3.16. But by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
The first maybe way to believe this commandment to love one another is to follow Jesus' example. This is the first how-to, if you will. This is how we're to do it. You remember the old question, what would Jesus do? That's a great question. In, In those moments, we should ask that question, okay, what would Jesus do? How would he love here? And going back to 1 John 3.16, the way he loved, he laid down his life for us. It's this glorious example of sacrificially loving. But it's meant to be an example to be followed. In other words, what questions are you asking when you walk into that awkward middle school cafeteria? Are you asking questions like, where should I sit? Is everyone staring at me? Am I an idiot? Or are you asking questions like, okay, what would Jesus do in this moment? How can I sacrificially love someone in this moment? How can I get out of my head, out of, my head of self-love or out of my head of fear of others so that I can just sacrificially love someone and enjoy tater tots together? Like, how do we get out of our heads in those moments? That's what it means to sacrificially love. That's what it means to follow his example. The second thing is to abide in Jesus. 1 John 3.24 says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. So we love one another by following Jesus' example. And that's simply asking that question, what would Jesus do? But also the second how-to, if you will, of how to love one another, it means that we have to abide in his presence. Abiding is all about presence. It's about being with someone. It's about remaining or enduring or staying. See, abiding in God means that we're spiritually connected with him. It's about prayer. It's about those devotional times. It's about walking with him as you go throughout your day. It's staying connected with him. Again, going back to that middle school cafeteria, Jesus is there to help you in those moments. He's there with you in those awkward, hard, uncomfortable moments. He's there to help you make a friend. You see, you can sit down at that table and say, God, I don't know what to say. Give me something to say. Give me, help me connect with this person in some way. You can bring him into that. He's there to help you in that moment. In fact, as I've thought about this series, um, one of my closest friends, the way our friendship started was kind of awkward and we fumbled through hanging out, but, but it was when we prayed for our friendship. When, when we were abiding in him and, and brought Christ into that, that's when that, the, just the deep roots of that friendship took hold. We believe Jesus' command by abiding in him. But the next one here is how to believe number three is to let Jesus' love become visible. Now, hang with me here with this. Look at 1 John 4, 7 to 12. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among you, that God sent His only Son into the world so that, we might live, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So third, this maybe third way to believe this command or live out this command to love one another it's to let jesus's love become manifest or become visible in your life like the gospel is is that not that we need to conjure up things from within 
the command to go love one another is not dig deep and, and find some sort of resource or some sort of inspiration to then go love somebody out of your own strength. The gospel is, is, is listen, he got up on that cross lovingly in order to move you from a category of enemy to beloved son or daughter of God. And in that moment, he has filled you with his love. He resides in you and his love resides in you. Never forget that what God empowers us to do, he also calls us to do. So when he calls you to love one another, he then empowers you to love one another. He's with you in that moment. We have him and we have his love. His love is what needs to flow out of us. His love was visible and manifest on the cross. And what that did is that bought us back to him. It put us in his family. It made us a beloved child of God. And thus we have his love, that same love within us. And he calls us to tap into that love, to to draw out that love, to, to make it manifest the way he made it manifest, to make it visible for the world to see. So when he calls you to love one another, he's saying, tap into the love that I've already given you. Loving one another is about making visible the love that he has given. Listen, we're all that self-loving, self-absorbed kid walking into the cafeteria, feeling alone and being uh, told to love one another. However, the good news of that command is that God is with us. He's there with us in that need. He's empowering us to that thing that he's calling us to. So we are to simply sit down next to someone and ask God to give us the love that we need to have for them, to pray and ask him for that, and then to shine that love into whatever is going on in that person's life. That's the pathway to Christ-centered friendships, is to tap into the love that's already there, to heed the call by tapping into the love that he has given us. I want to close with maybe four other related verses that I think kind of provide some practical wisdom for developing Christ-centered friendships. The first one is to devote yourself to love. Romans uh, 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Loving with brotherly affection. That, that's not a, a shallow love, right? That's not, a, that's not a cheap emotion. That type of love is a devoted love. There's a, a depth to that love, and it manifests itself by someone stumbling over themselves trying to love someone else. It, it's a devoted love. Who are you devoted to loving? Lock in, no matter their struggles and no matter the cost. Devote yourself to working for someone's good. How can you show someone honor this week? Loving one another with a devoted love. That's the pathway to develop Christ-centered friendships. The second practical point of wisdom is is to patiently love. If we want to develop these deep friendships, it's going to take patience. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, deep relationships, they don't happen overnight, do they? They take time. They also don't happen according to maybe our terms or our timelines. Sometimes we think, man, this friendship ought to be further along than it is, and it just simply isn't. Sometimes those relationships take longer, and they take twists and turns, but good friendships, they take time, they take patient, steadfast love, the type of love that bears one another's burdens. What friend in your life is bearing a burden right now? How can you patiently love them in that trial? How can you give them the time that they need? Loving one another with patient love. That's how to develop these life-giving, Christ-centered friendships. Well, third, deepen your love. 
If you want to develop encouraging, lasting friendships, it's going to require a deep love. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Again, brotherly love is kind of at the, the center of that list, and it's this ideal form of love. It's this love that, that is, is, is really deep to it. But, but it requires these, these other descriptions around it, unity, sympathy, tenderness, humility. I have a close relationship with my brother, like I said, and he knows all my fault flaws and I know all his flaws. But there's a real freedom to it because we know that we love each other. We, have, we support each other. We help each other. So in those moments, we can speak truth to each other. We can rebuke each other when we need to. We, we can have that type of deep love that just resides and it's just there no matter the twists and turns of life. Loving one another with deepening affection is how to develop good friendships. Who do you need to uh, have a deeper love with in your life? Well, fourth and finally, increase your love. If you want to have Christ-centered friendships, you need to increase your love. You need to have an expanding love, a love that is just more and more as time goes by. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Again, Christ-centered love, it's, it's not a status quo love. It increases over time. It gets bigger or expands. It gets more. That's the type of love that he's calling you to. Just have in your mind that friendship that you have. You need to spend the rest of your life loving them and loving them in bigger and more and more expansive ways. You need to increase your love for them. Your friendships, uh, they, they might... Uh, they, they can't, um, for them to outlive and to really be Christ-centered, they, they can't just live on the fuel from the past. Maybe you love them effectively in the past, but are you loving them in the present, and are you loving them increasingly into the future? Who do you need to love more this week? Well, that day I nervously walked into my middle school cafeteria. I, I did not gain a friendship with that cool ninth grade girl. She told me to you know, she told me to scram and not sit at the ninth grade table. And like I said, I initially kind of froze. I didn't know what to do. I started looking around to the seventh grade ghetto of where to go. And then all of a sudden, a, a superhero appeared. A friend appeared. There was a great injustice happening in that cafeteria. I was being called out and treated poorly. In that moment, an even cooler ninth grade girl showed up. She walked up and told the other girl, he's with me. It was powerful. I mean, it was like, okay, corral, okay? And so I got to stay at the ninth grade table, which was really awesome. That day, my future sister-in-law, Kara Stockdale, became my friend for life. Yeah. <laughs> she knew that I needed a friend that day. She knew that I needed someone working for my good, and she stepped in and saved the day. God knew what I needed, and he knew that I needed a friend. He Knew that I needed a lifelong illustration of how to tangibly love somebody, how to stick up for somebody and work for their good. Do you have those types of friends? Are you that type of friend? Who needs your love this week? Who do you need to devote yourself to today? Who do you need to be patient with right now? And how do you need to deepen your love for others? How do you need to increase your love for others? Love one another is the command. And friends, it's connected to our discipleship. If you're a follower of Christ, then he calls you to love as I have loved. And how does Christ love us? He loves us tangibly. He loves us sacrificially. 
However, this command should feel very overwhelming to you. And when it is, remember that he's with you. He's filled you with his love. He's for you. He's with you in those moments. He's empowering you for those moments. We're to abide in him. We're to tap into that. He died on the cross for you and to be with you and to be for you. He's there to help in those moments. Therefore, don't settle for theoretical, shallow friendships. Devote yourself to patient, deep, increasing love for others. Friends, develop Christ-centered friendships through this command, this beautiful call to love one another. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage and what a high yet glorious charge that you've given us, this command to love one another. There's good news in that. Some of us have really felt the love of other people, tangible, sacrificial love. Lord, we thank you for this command for that reason. But also we feel the burden of this command. And Lord, I pray that when we're overwhelmed, feeling like, man, I, I can't love someone the way that I should, I pray that we would, we would draw back on, on the strength of your love, that we would let that love flow through us and, and really just fuel the type of love that we're supposed to have for someone, tangible, sacrificial giving, bearing one another's burdens, all those things. Give us the love that we